It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 174, The Prophet Jonah, Part 2, and the Kernel of Wheat. John 12, 24. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Last we left off, Jonah was lying on a beach on the eastern side of the Mediterranean. His skin is already starting to dry up, and the sun is beginning to scorch his skin. The sunburn he will have will be extraordinary, with his skin peeling, and it will look kind of like a mess. He will most likely quickly find new dry clothes and something to cover his skin with. He rolls over and remembers very clearly his assignment, Nineveh that he must preach the destruction of the city, followed by these words, salvation comes from the Lord. Now at the time, Nineveh was one of the largest cities in the world, about 120,000 people, and Jonah was to declare and preach all throughout the city. It was a daunting task, but it beats being in a fish. What Jonah is asked to do is quite bold. He was to go to a foreign city, known for horrible violence and atrocities, a place racked with plague and disease and death and enemy, a foreign people to God, proclaiming God's word to them. They will hate him or they will love his exotic boldness. Their response will be the surprise of all surprises and spark the largest city revival in biblical history. Jonah 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim it, the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. All right, so we have to picture Jonah, this prophet who makes the considerable journey to Nineveh. That's a long ways. We have to imagine his story goes ahead of him about the fish and about his pale, feebly-looking man journeying to see them. He approaches the walls, and he has to declare who he is. He must have just went after it from the beginning, shouting God's judgment to them. What he was doing was so against his own fleshly will. He probably just unloaded the minute he got to the walls. I mean, my God declares, this city will be destroyed because of your wickedness. And sin, your sin has brought you to this state. Each time he spoke, the Spirit would have filled him more and more, filling him as he spoke God's judgment. The thing about Jonah, when he started speaking in these prophets, when they start going and going, the Spirit fills them. They get overwhelmed and they kind of lose track of themselves. The preaching must have been inspired or they wouldn't have listened. God must have put him on like a glove, maybe kind of like Gideon. 
like a missionary in a foreign land preaching to a nation that had never heard or learned of the power of God. Jonah told them of their destruction, but he still slipped in what was required of him in the fish. Salvation comes from the Lord. Further, considering his physical state, I would like to suggest Jonah was overwhelmed by the Spirit as it spoke through him to this crowd. Like Gideon, how the Spirit put him on like a glove. I imagine something from the preaching prophet perspective on this where God just overwhelmed Jonah. And as he spoke, people were cut to the heart. And in the flesh, Jonah had serious issues. In the Spirit, Jonah knew no wrong. In his flesh, Jonah just hoped they would ignore him, but they didn't. Just imagine a wealthy businessman, maybe, who had a dream the night before of this guy, this feebly pale-looking man showing up, and he sees him shouting from the walls. And he says, okay, we'll let him in. We'll just escort him around Nineveh. Let's see how he does. Jonah's now inside the walls and from the streets. Now Jonah hurls his condemnation every once in a while, throwing that phrase that was required of him. Salvation comes from the Lord. But when God speaks and hearts are ready, people listen. John 3, 5. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Oh my. The city was listening. This is incredible. All the horrible things that happened historically prior to Jonah's visit softened their hearts to listen to this sickly-looking prophet who came from the sea. To a people who respected power, Jonah's testimony must have moved them, and judgment of destruction only struck them deep in their hearts. They understood destruction and judgment and wanted nothing of it, at least against them. They would believe this prophet from Israel because they related to his message. Listen to the important part of Jonah's message. Salvation comes from the Lord. Even the king Asher Dan III was moved. Jonah 3, 6. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let him give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Okay, so this is the only nationwide three-day fast of food and water by people and animals. That's what it said. No food or drink for people and the animals. I mean, the Ninevites or the Assyrians literally have a fast in the Bible that no one else has ever done. Isn't that incredible? In the midst of his judgment, the midst of God's judgment, was those words, salvation comes from the Lord. God who loves mercy over judgment only blesses the faith of the king and its people. Jonah 3.10 When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. And if we doubt the true repentance of these guys, we have Jesus to look at. This is Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. Matthew 12.41 The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. 
for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. If the men of Nineveh will rise to judge the the Pharisees and their generation, they are witnesses of redemption. And I would go so far as to say there's a saved generation that encountered God because of their fasting and repentance from the preaching of Jonah. We made a reference in the Moses story to the potentially saved youth of Egypt in the age of Pharaoh and how a generation of firstborn youth in Egypt were saved because they were taken before adulthood. This is a theory, of course, but maybe there's an interesting place in heaven for these Egyptian youth and, of course, for this Ninevite generation. Maybe there's a little Egypt or a little Nineveh filled with these historical characters and the heavenly city one day. It's an interesting thought. Our story now takes a little strange detour. We get to witness the character of Jonah now. He's quite a particular guy. So far, he's been through a lot, and let's not forget his skin condition, that oxygen-deprived, now sunburned and peeling skin of his. It's got to hurt. He's in pain physically, but worst, his heart is in a horrible place. To think God only uses the mature and the perfect to spark revival is a misnomer. Look at Jonah. He's got loads of bitterness and hate in his heart, but God still used him. Next, we get the raw immaturity of Jonah. Jonah 4. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. This is related to God not destroying the city. This is his flesh. While the spirit working through him preached, his flesh and his sinful ways wanted the city destroyed. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Wow. Jonah really knew the true heart of God. Funny how when Jonah was told to speak judgment to Nineveh, Jonah was smart enough to know He was speaking about mercy at the same time. God who relents from sending calamity, gracious, compassionate God, slow in anger and abounding in love. Chew on that for a long time. And now we get the true spiritual condition of Jonah. Jonah 4, 3. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then the Lord God provided a a leafy plant, made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. I'm telling you, it gets a little weird at the end of the book. It's not what you expect. Like tailgating, Jonah sat under his beach chair with his palm tree and awaited the flyover of the death angel to see the destruction of Nineveh like Sodom and Gomorrah. But it didn't happen, because no one wanted this but Jonah. Jonah 4, 7 But at dawn the next day God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. Then the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. 
He wanted to die and said, It would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I was dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also so many animals? And that's the end of the book of Jonah. It's such a weird way to end the book of Jonah, but that's how it ended. Jonah's selfishness, pity party, and God's rebuke. In the end, Jonah hated the people of Nineveh, probably for personal reasons, and we see what hate and bitterness does. It causes us to miss God and his true purposes. Though Jonah preached to the people of Nineveh, though his heart was not right, I just wonder, due to his bitterness and attitude, if he doesn't actually get credit in heaven for this great revival. I just wonder if Jonah's great achievement here would have granted him this great place or great reward in heaven. But in the end, due to his bitterness and lack of agreement with God's will in his heart, he agreed to do what God said, but he didn't really in his heart. Like He, he agreed at a consequence. He wasn't going to, you know, God who sent a fish to save him, he, he will obey. But in the end, did he really worship God and love his ways surrender all of his idols, and follow God wholeheartedly. I don't think he did. And is it possible that he actually failed to receive the true eternal rewards for the greatest biblical history city revival? The story of Jonah shows us how God can even use those filled with hate and bitterness and even orchestrate things to be a sign for others to reveal a greater truth. So let's conclude this episode of Message to Kings, the legacy of this revival. We spoke about the kernel of wheat earlier, and that's kind of where we're going to end up. The revival in Nineveh will die in the next generation because no one is fueling it. And when Jonah leaves, there is no one giving them prophecies or teaching them God's ways or discipling them. It just dies. But Jesus said nothing can truly bear fruit unless it dies. A seed was planted deep in the soil of Nineveh on that day. Nineveh will go on to become the world empire it always wanted to be and resume their horrible, violent, destructive ways in the next generation. But a seed of the gospel will always remain in Nineveh. Historically, we can track many Christians in Nineveh and their churches and, and how even during horrible times in history, there were still sometimes Christian churches there. Fast forward to modern times. In 2014, a consensus showed 35,000 Christians lived in Nineveh. And this was before ISIS took the city in 2014-15. There was a huge monastery even there, and a reported tomb of Jonah. And by the way, I think there's about five places in the world that claim to have the tomb of Jonah. Who knows if he is actually buried in Nineveh, if he was actually there, but many believe this was his final resting place. 
ISIS destroyed the tomb of Jonah in 2015, almost in retaliation for something very amazing. When Iraq formed as an independent state after the execution of Saddam Hussein, there was a democratic election in Iraq. The very first Christian to be in Iraq's new government was a man from Nineveh. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's the power of the gospel and the power of true repentance and how when a seed is in the soil and when there's representation all over the country of Iraq, where does the Christian come from? Nineveh. And we go back to the beginning of our story. John 12, 24. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. This revival of Jonah in Nineveh, it does. It, it dies in the next generation. Or the people of Nineveh and Assyria wouldn't have been conquering the world the way they did. You know, and some probably hidden believers are all through history in Nineveh. I don't have their trail perfect or anything, but uh, but you can see that the revival dies. But as it dies, it springs forth and it puts in the soil of Nineveh thousands of seeds. All of those believers and all their prayers and all that time they spent with God was not wasted. There's something in the soil, there's something in the land that causes that, that Christian presence to always be there and to always rise up. And when the elections came in Iraq, the first one to be elected, the first representative was from Nineveh. Isn't that the power of the gospel? Romans 1.16 for I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation. So here's a programming note as we head into the summer months. I don't know if you guys know this, but Seattle, Washington in the summer uh, is one of the most beautiful places in the world. Um, outside of the summer, it rains a lot and it's a bitter on the cold side, but um, in the summer months, it's rather spectacular. So uh, we've got lots of travel, um, adventure with the family, exploring the area, um, a lot of irregular type weekends. So I'm going to say June, July, and August, we're going to go do every two weeks. We're going to probably put out a podcast. Uh, there might be some where we get it in every week, uh, but for June, July, and August, let's go to every two weeks, generally speaking. So thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Feel free to visit the website, messagetokings.com. Share the Facebook page, or if you want to chat, email us at messagetokings.com at gmail.com.